It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbonneau, and today with a very special guest from out east, it is Sean Campbell. He's a host on 690 TSN, and he's also the play-by-play voice of the Montreal Alouettes. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. I like uh, I like that hat. I'm a, I'm a big hat guy, so I like that one. That's nice. I know my viewers or the audience won't be seeing it, but it's something that uh, I love the retro and uh, it's kind of cool. Okay. So let's get into who you are, uh, where you came from, where, where were you born? Where were you raised? All that sort of fun stuff. Well, I'm a, I'm a Montrealer through and through. I grew up on the West side of the island of Montreal out in the suburb Point Claire, you know, grew up playing sports, loving sports did all that and wanting to play, you know, in the national hockey league, like every uh, good old Canadian boy. Uh, that didn't really pan out. And then, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, so I've been in Montreal and living in Montreal my whole life. So I know the city and, and its brand of sports quite well and what works out and, uh, you know, what doesn't work sometimes and the trials and tribulations of some franchises. Uh, we could get into baseball if you want, but then uh, that's a whole other story. From Montreal and grew up here, still live here, work here, everything in Montreal. Now I'm a little closer to downtown. I'm out in the uh, Verdun, which is just a 10 minute drive, not even a, a five minute metro ride to downtown. So I'm, I'm right in the core. Well, that's a great place to be. Montreal is a, a fascinating city to be. I've been there a few times. I just love it. Yeah, I do too. And I live here. <laughs> You're very fortunate. Talk about your media career. Where did that all start? Yeah. So I, I graduated university. I went to uh, Concordia, got a BA in history. Got into teaching. I was teaching three, four years. I was, I was teaching out of high school. It was like my old high school. I could start teaching there. I like that. But I, I always wanted to do a little bit more with it, a little bit more. I was trying to go back to school to get like a uh, more of my BA because I had my bachelor's of arts and it wasn't really working out. And I was already working in the, in the system, in the school systems. And I was kind of like toiling. I was 25, 26 trying to figure out what I want to do. And then my, uh, my friend that I was playing hockey with went, uh, he asked me, he goes, uh, what did you want to do when you were 11 years old? I go, and he goes, besides playing the NHL, I said, I wanted to do play by play. And then he just, he went to me and he said, do it. And I took those words to heart, quit my job, went to, uh, uh, in the condensive, uh, radio TV school, which doesn't exist anymore. It was, uh, like a five, six month program. You got what you put into it. If you didn't show up to class, the teacher didn't really care because, it was up to you. And then you, and then, you know, so then I, I did that course. Uh, I graduated. I put the time, the effort, moved back in my mom's basement, all that stuff. And then, uh, I, I wrote a letter to the old general manager at, it used to be called Team 990. It was T, which is TS, the same station I'm at now. Wrote a, an, a letter to him saying, this is the only place I want to be. I said, I, I, I love radio, I love sports, and I love Montreal. And there's only one English radio sports station, so you got to hire me. <laughs> so uh, by hired, I worked four months for free, and then I got you know a shift one or two. So that's kind of how I all started. Like that that was that's how I got in into the media. So that's a great story because it's persistence pays off. Yeah, like I you know it's it's what I wanted, and then I I said, and I I knew even knew when I got in, and this that was seventeen years ago. So that would have been. 2006, 2007, 
I was just determined. And then I, I, they said the, the internship that I was doing, they said, I'll give you an internship three months. And then I could tell if I stuck around for another month, the fourth month, that there was going to be jobs just about to start in the summer. And there would have been opportunities. And uh, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do one more month for free. And then I got a shift here, shift there. I used to do my first year and a half. I did a Saturday mornings, 10 to 1, and then Wednesday nights, 7 to midnight. Those were my two shifts for like a year and a half. And that's, that's what really got me into the CFL was the first year that summer of 2007, I was the operator, the board operator in the, in, in the studio for a show that was called the, the, uh, the Owls This Week. And it was a one hour show about the Alouettes. And I was just the operator, the guy that was the host. He brought in his guest. I didn't talk. I didn't do anything. I did that show for a year as an operator. And then in the summer of 2008, my boss goes, Oh, Darren's not coming back. You're the host now. <laughs> And, and I've been hosting that show ever since. Uh, it, it was really a great way to get my foot into the CFL waters. That's awesome. As you go through that process and now you've got your own show, you start working your way, I imagine, through the station, getting more and more airtime. How does it work that you finally land yourself with the Alouettes? How does that play-by-play job come available to you? Yeah, so that, that was an interesting path to football because I always wanted to do fo- play-by-play for hockey. Canada's hockey. And at that time, I guess it was 2008, 2009, we just got the rights to the junior team, the Montreal Juniors. We, I would ride the buses, go up to Rouen, Aranda, Valdor, Chicoutimi. I've been to every small town in Quebec. And uh, I would do play-by-play for like 50 bucks and just do the hockey games. And to me, that was just cutting my teeth, doing what I needed to do for hockey. Uh, that translated into when we got the AHL Laval Rocket deal, I became the rocket voice. So I was the voice of the Laval rocket. So I was already in the play-by-play game at that point because I told my boss, I always told my bosses, this, I want to be play-by-play. I want to do play-by-play. And it, it actually re- reminds me the first time we got the Montreal juniors, the the guy that I was with, there was two of us. He's, my boss walked in and he said, look, Connor, you're going to do play-by-play. Sean, because you play hockey and you coach hockey, you're going to be the color guy, the analyst. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be an analyst. I want to do play-by-play. So he's like, okay, then you got to just alternate, do one game each, one game play-by-play, one game color. And so I've done that. And that, But I was like adamant. I was like, I want play-by-play. For the football aspect of it, I always wanted to do other sports, but opportunity wasn't there. Our longtime voice, he was on CJD 800 and then with TSN 690 ourselves, is uh, Rick Moffitt. And um, big, big fan of Rick Moffitt. I uh, worked alongside him, working some of the broadcast, but he's the play-by-play guy. I got involved with the CFL on TSN. I was their bug, the secondary stats guy. So I'd be in the, I'd be in the booth watching Rod Black, Dwayne Ford, Rod Smith while they work their TV broadcasts. And I give them those secondary stats, uh, hurries, rush hits. There's guys in the background and I was one of those guys. So I got to watch them do their job. So I was always interested in football. And I, I used to tell my boss, I said, I said, if, if Rick gets sick or something, like, I can do football. He's like, have you ever done it? I'm like, no. And I'm like, but I can do it. I was like, I can do it. I remember there was a, it was a preseason game. They didn't know if I could do it or not, but they said, Sean, do this preseason game. No problem. Did the preseason game. And then it was right after Rick was, because he knew he was going to miss a game. It was the next day after I did the preseason game. Rick sent me a schedule. He's like, uh, I need you to do this game, this game, and this game because I'm away. I'm like, oh, you guys were testing me to see if I could do it. And so I was the backup guy for Rick for a couple of years. Rick moved on. 
from TSN uh, in 2019. And I remember this is before the pandemic. My boss goes to me, he's like, Sean, I think it was maybe it was December or January. He goes, you're the new voice of the Alouettes. Then the pandemic hit. <laughs> so I always say I've been the voice since 2020, but it wasn't really until 2021 that I took over and, and, and got the job. But that was the roundabout way, I guess, that I got the uh, the Alouettes play-by-play. And then finally you get to call a game in 2021, and it's a shortened season, granted, but at least you get out there. And you had a wild team to watch. Oh, yeah. like The, the Owls, like from 2021, 2022 to this season, when they were, they were two 500 teams, they, they win, they lose. And, and I'd always say this because I'd been covering the team since 2007. And one of my first jobs at the station was a reporter, and I would be one of the guys that go to Owls practices. Like my first, my first paid gig at the station was a Jared Payton press conference. The Alouettes in 2007 signed Jared Payton, the son of Walter Payton, the, as a running back. And I, and I remember I was like, we have no one to go to the press conference. I was like, I'll go. And that was my first thing that I covered. So I've always been covering the Owls. I, I, I've gotten to know the players like pretty well through being a reporter, you know, knowing Jim Pop through the years, but that 2021 team. 2022 team and, and the 2023 team, it was, it was entertaining. Like they, they weren't great, but they weren't awful. We've seen some bad teams across the CFL over the last few years, Ottawa. The Owls were always competitive and, and they come in, they, two seasons ago, they came into Winnipeg, won a game when no one expected them to win a game. So yeah, they, they were entertaining. They're, they're a fun group of guys. And I always have so much respect for the CFL player because they're just, Let's be honest. They're the working men, right? They're just guys that are playing football because they love the football like so, so, so much. Yeah, it's you compare them to the NFL guy. He's in it for the money, and there's big bucks to be made down there. But you come to play in Canada because you love the game and it's fun. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, and I and I see that you know when I talk to these guys on a weekly basis on the hours this week, and you, you always talk. I'm like. You guys aren't doing it for the money, you know. And I did. I got. A, I got an opportunity. There's one of. The, I had my hours this week show, but. I guess it would have been 2009 or 10. It was around then. I, we also had another radio show. I did the Rouge radio show, and my co-host was Scott Flory. And uh, Scott Flory, of course, out there in Saskatchewan, great guy. And he would just bring players in, and you just get to know them. You know, you just get to know them pretty well. And you're just like, and these guys are just regular guys that play beer league hockey like I do. That's awesome. So you get into the gig, and around the Alouettes, so much is happening. The owner has passed away. Yeah. There's tenuousness in terms of what's going to be happening next. What was that like for you? It was it was weird in the city because no one cared. <laughs> right? Like the 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 Owls have to be relevant if they win. Like if you go look at the images of the parade and, and what they did this year, people cared and so many people came up to me and was like, that was the first Owls game I watched all year. And I go, Yeah, I know that they they and the Owls realized that they, they have to garner and get something from the get go. And we could get excited about what Gary Stern was doing on social media, but when it was falling apart and, and the Spiegel group didn't want to own the team anymore, they didn't want to pay the bills. They were like, we just want to sell it as fast as we can. And then there was no buyers. Uh, there was a little bit of a moment where you were like, is this team going to fold? And is anybody going to care? I know people could get deep into the political ramifications of uh, Pierre Carl Pelado taking over. But the fact of the matter is you have a billionaire owning a football team and a billionaire who doesn't really care if he loses two, three million because he loves the game of football. That's actually a good sign. Well, you've got a couple of those billionaires around the league now and yeah. and that's really put the league in great stead. What was it like now? Let's go to this season because 
as you look at the team and they're going into free agency, the CFL is running the team and your top players are leaving because they don't know what their future is going to be there. Yeah, Eugene Lewis and Trevor Harris move on, and I wonder if they were able to keep them. And I, I, I've gotten to know Danny Machocha, and he's just like, I sat there for a week being told I can't do anything while everybody else is doing stuff. And then they finally got the green light that they could. They signed Greg Ellingson, uh, who played a quarter and a half this year, unfortunately. But that was really their only big signing. And then you, you then when the football starts, Everyone's like, no, this team with all the everything happened in the offseason, the changes, it's not going to go well. And then next thing you know, they have a defense that's competitive, a defense that is better than people think, probably won them some games because people underestimated them. Then they go and Machocha works his magic with Sankey and Lemon and bringing them in. That team, like no one believed in the Alouettes, but that team, and they said it afterwards, that team in that locker room, they did. They're not just speaking that when they say that. That team actually believed that they were championship caliber from the get-go. They really, really did. Two of the key ingredients to this process, your head coach, Jason Moss, and the starting quarterback, Cody Fajardo, both cast-offs, if you would call it that, from the Rough Riders. Yeah. Were they ever driving that idea that we've got to prove something, or were they just, that's done, we got to move forward? I can answer more to Cody. Cody feels like he has to prove himself every time he goes on the field. I think he does. And he got the extension. I think he proved himself this year. And it's funny, his best game of the entire season was the Great Cup. There was not doubters, but it was like, okay, is he really a A1 starter? Is he an A, you know, a 1B starter? Is he a 2A starter? He he missed a couple of games. Caleb Evans came in and they won. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good indication on Cody Fajardo. <laughs> and... But then I think I think you really saw by the end of the season, yes, he was the guy and he was able to get the job. Jason Moss, I don't know if he was there to prove anything. And I know he was cast off, but I, I guess I, I know him a little less on that front. Uh, not that I know Cody, but I, I, I interviewed him multiple times. I really got that sense that he wanted to prove himself every time he was out there. Uh, Jason Moss didn't have as many opportunities to, to break that idea down. And he would probably dismiss it a lot easier. He just wants to go out there and win. But I think... The biggest thing for, for Jason Moss is he came in and he was the outside hire. All his assistants were being interviewed for that job. And then they all had to be re-interviewed to be assistants again on Jason Moss's stuff. And then he kept them all, except Andre Bulduk moved on. And, uh, you know, they did a little bit of shuffling, but Archambault was back. Calvillo was back. Mel Thorpe was back. I mean, I thought that was incredibly important to do that. So that group that had so much turnover from quarterback and coach still felt that the core of coaches were in place. One of the things that Jason Moss said at his postseason presser that he had was that motivation will get you so far. Discipline takes you all the way. I think he's very good at motivating them. And then when there was times to discipline, it was interesting because he's the offensive guy, right? And this defensive team, I've seen it in years past with Noel Thorpe. They're aggressive and they love being in your face and they cross the line. And so many times prior to this season, the Owls took stupid penalties at stupid times. It, it cost them games. It cost them games. I think maybe once, like it was almost on a weekly basis. I would say that, you know, that happened the two, 2021, 2022, 2023, the discipline on just penalties on taking a step back, but still maintaining that aggressiveness and 
I, I think that came trickled down from from Jason Moss, and he instilled a belief in that locker room that every player speaks about, saying that Jason Moss has us on a on a on a plan, and we're going to follow that plan. So yeah, I think I think I, I like what he said there because I I think it speaks to what happened on the field. Mark Antoine Ducroix, could a player have had more exciting <laughs> moments on a field as a defender? I don't know. I I mean getting to call those games and I, I do it with um uh, Marco Olivier Briette, former former Rough Rider. Marco and I uh do the broadcast and Marco went to University of Montreal like Duquois. He he played safety in you know, but Marco was a quarterback when he was in uh, University of Montreal, but then he played safety for the Alouettes, so there's so much a connection there. And he knows the position and he was just in awe with what he was able to do, with what he was able to read. And let's not forget he got he had another pick six taken off the board on a very chintzy illegal contact penalty on the first play in BC against Vernon Adams Jr. earlier this year. And that, that should have been a pick six. And I'm not, that's no homerism. That's just me watching football. And I watch a lot of football. That was just, he was all over. And just, you go back to setting the tone in the East final against Chad Kelly on the opening drive. Argos marched the field. Get in the red zone, so confident we're going to hammer these out, and then one play broke the Argos. If the Argos score a touchdown there, Chad Kelly doesn't have the loss of confidence. He's not throwing those other picks. Mark Antoine Dubois broke the Argos that day on that one play in the first quarter. He did it to a few teams. He almost did it to Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Yeah, he's just he's quick. He reads the play well. Uh, he understands exactly what Nolthorpe wants. They're all on the same page. Nolthorpe sends those signals out and then they get down and they go. That is, uh, and, and I remember every year, every week on my shows, I'm like, do the Owls have the best defense in the league? And then they got hurt. They got hurt for a couple of weeks and they went on that. They got hurt the weeks that they had to face like BC Winnipeg and the defense was not their grade A defense. They had, um, Chagnon. Uh, at middle linebacker, Avery Williams was out and Sankey hadn't come yet. But then at the end of the season, I don't think that there was any doubt that they were the league's best defense. Any truth to the, we'll call it story, that Darnell Sankey walks into the locker room and says, now that I'm here, boys, we ain't losing another game. What he said was on the field, the, his first game was the game in Toronto they lost. Was the game in Toronto or was it in Montreal? They lost to Toronto in his first game as he came in and he got into the lineup. And uh, they lost that game. It was the last game that they lost. But it was, I believe, when he said that, it was on the field to the team. He was fired up after the game. He goes, we're not losing again. That's it. We're not. And I think it was just him motivating himself. But there is truth to what he said. Was there a turning point in this season that the Alouettes felt that, hey, we can beat anybody? Because they were that exact Midland team. They couldn't beat a better record. They couldn't lose to a worse record. Yeah. When did that turnover what could it have been before that playoff game in Toronto yeah I I think it was a little bit before that but they hadn't beaten Toronto yet and then they hadn't beaten Winnipeg they didn't beat BC I guess BC can tip their cap that they're the only team to the not the, the Alouettes beat this year but the, the the Sankey moment that you could you could circle that that feels like a moment I I think it's after that when they started running the table down and then there was one little blip where they had to win a couple of games close against Hamilton because Hamilton was coming on. They were getting some healthy players. They kind of just, fle- it was during the game. I think it was second to last week. 
And they just kind of, or third to last week, they, they just kind of flexed on them a little bit. And they were like, oh, we are better than them. Like they were, they were pretty sure they were better than them. And then, and then I think that that, that confidence just rolled through. But it was late in the season when then they probably had that belief. Like they, when maybe I started to believe that they could do something because I know in coming into that Toronto game and I did a lot of radio interviews and, 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 and spoke about the game, I really thought the outs had a good chance. And it was one, I hated the fact that the Argos hadn't played a meaningful game and the Alouettes played every game that was meaningful except their last one. Every game that they had to play down the stretch meant something for them to get into the playoffs and to, to get the home playoff date. The Argos went two months without playing a competitive football game, and the Alves defense was not the same defense. So, and the Alves played the Argos tight twice. So they had the, the game with the block kick, and then they had one that was an eight-point game with a throw in the end zone that got intercepted. So they had two one-score games against the Argos. I really thought they had a good chance to beat the Argos, and I, and I know that room did too. I kind of point to that game that they played in Edmonton where uh, it was described as seven minutes of insanity in that second quarter. It wasn't a game that the Alouettes absolutely needed, but they weren't going to let it slip away either. Yeah, they they had, and I've seen so many games where a team goes into halftime and then they're the same team coming out. At, you know, there's not much change. But man, they, they had a lot of moments where they were a different team in the second half. And, and I remember starting and Trey Ford, he was, he was running all over, doing whatever he wanted. And the, the Alex were all over the field. And then it was, I said, sometimes you just need once. I think it was a special teams play that started it. I go, you get one special team. It was a, a, sack, a strip sack touchdown. Yeah. yeah. yeah but I think it was with Stafford Johnson. And we used to talk about how one defensive play can spark an offense. And it, for the Owls, that defense did its job. And I, I think about, you know, the, the, the Grey Cup. And uh, when uh, Ento picked off Kolaros with that beautiful one-hand diving back, it wasn't a Marc-Antoine 14-point swing like he did against Chad Kelly, pick six, but I call that the pick minus six. The Owls went up and then punted the next, but he took the points off the board. That was a touchdown if he doesn't make that play. So those are the things that that defense does. And then the offense builds off of that. And we saw that happen in that game. The Owls offense build off of one defensive play i like that uh, i like your edmonton game that's a good one i think that that could have been one of those turning points for them now let's go right to the gray cup game itself the alouettes clearly were the underdogs everybody that you could talk to would effuse about the blue bombers and they're going to win by 10 12 14 yeah. up to 20 points the alouettes are having this ringing in their ears what is their mindset their mindset was that they were the best team in the cfl no one else said it but they didn't care what anybody else said. That was their mindset. That was a very confident group. And I knew that they were going to put up a fight. I knew it wasn't going to be a 10-point game. I did not know they were going to win. The other thing is they scored four offensive touchdowns in that game. That was only the second time all season they scored four offensive touchdowns. The Owls defense was keeping them in games so often this year. They had a winning record with only one offensive zone t- uh, offensive touchdown. Like if they had one offensive, they actually had a winning record. They just needed two in most games and they would win. They had four offensive touchdowns, which is something they just didn't do on a regular basis. It was Cody Fajardo being the best version of Cody Fajardo I have ever seen on that day. That like he, the, the leadership, I love the video that came out of him riling up the team. I don't know if you've seen it on social media. The Alouettes posted it. They had a private players meeting and, and then. Former champions can talk to the group, and Fajardo spoke to the group, and his speech, you could tell, he was about to have his best game of his career. Right before halftime, the Alouettes are stuffed at the goal line. Mm-hmm. 
in your mind, are you thinking, uh-oh, this could be trouble? Yep. But I also, I think the mindset, and I was, you know, thinking on, in the broadcast, well, I wasn't doing the broadcast, but I was thinking it while I was watching the game. They get the ball to start. I said, the only way they save themselves here, if they score on the opening drive, then you have the catch from Austin Mack with one hand. And, and then, then you have the next, then you have cool speaker in the end zone. And this is, this play dictates everything that was wrong with some of the decisions the Bombers made. I mean, Big Hill shouldn't have been playing. Adam Big Hill, he was just too hurt and they were trying to force that. Watch Adam Big Hill try and cover Cole Speaker on that play. There was a reason why it was wide open and getting that opening drive touchdown. That's, that was it. And the Owls, right mentality, 30 minute halftime show. They have to sit there. They just got stuffed. They, their, their confidence never wavered, even in that moment. But yeah, at home, on my couch, watching that, I thought I was like, no, no, I think they're done. It seemed as though as the game wore on, that the Alouettes were getting more and more energized and the Bombers were starting to falter. Then there were so many hellacious hits against Brady Oliveira in that third quarter that it looked like the Alouettes were trying to diminish Winnipeg's will. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I spoke to, after the championship, Luol Ugwak. And he hit, he was the one who hit Brady Oliveira. And uh, we were in studio and we were talking about it. And I said, Luol, I think that's the, the moment that you just killed. Brady Oliveira was amazing in that game till that moment. And that moment, he was nowhere to fa- be found after that. And it wasn't just an ordinary hit. That was a football hit. That was a big hit. And it was uh, right after, I think it was Beverett and Ruffin on a guy. like. But it was that Oliveira hit that Luol Ugwak I circled, I said, they were done after that. Their offense was done. And then that energy that they feed off of, you see it every time. They feed their own defense. And so often, you, you, you talk about, oh, man, that defense is tired. They're out there again. They're out there again. But when the Owls were making plays, they wanted to be on the field. It was a defense that said, no, put us out on the field. And there were games a couple of times where the Owls were just, and I, and I mentioned in the East Final, I said, I know they have the, you know, the seven turnovers. I go, they want to be right back on the field. They want to turn it over. And then they want to make sure that their offense gets a two and out so they can go back out there. They, they're still riled up. That's, that's, and then when they had a hit like that, they rally around it and, uh, they, they 100%. They had more energy down the stretch. So the Alouettes now are down in the game. And what every quarterback will dream about is being the guy in charge, trying to get the final score to win the game. What are you thinking as that team? starts its journey down towards the other end zone in that final couple minutes. Yeah, you know, they're putting it together and Fajardo was making proper decisions. He was being he was clean. Early on he got hit, but late in the game they made the adjustments and he was they, they were letting him have time. That was early on in the season it was a getting sacked was a big issue. But now the offensive line understood, you know, Fajardo's movements within the pocket. He was using his legs as well, so that that kept a couple of the linebackers up close. He just looked like a very confident quarterback. That's what I watched that drive. I I I don't I didn't know if they were going to do it. I was like, they might come up short. They won't. Like I I wasn't sitting there going, oh, this is the drive. I mean, this had to be the drive. But the uh, uh, the the call to go deep to speaker on the third down play and. They said that they had that call for a second and short earlier, but then the play got changed and they were ready to, and, and they said that let's go out. And, and Cody, uh, Cody said, and Jason Moss made the call and Cody's like, Oh, so 
we're just laying it all out there, eh? <laughs> we're just we're just gonna go for it. And then Jason Moss said, you know what? We're here to win. Let's go for it. And then they they you know they could have just handed off to stand back, but no, they really went for it. So to me, when you saw them make that catch, you're like, oh, this could be something special. Well, and a huge element of that play that most people don't realize is that Austin Mack is doing an under route. Yeah. The corner and the halfback both jump him, and that's why Speaker gets behind. Yeah. And 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 again, not to put anything on Fajardo, he underthrows the ball a little bit, right? And he was doing that all season long. Saskatchewan, you know that he just doesn't have that crazy arm strength. But he was, I guess he was adding something this year when he did that to go down the field. Maybe he gave it a little bit more height. Maybe a little bit more juice so he can let it hang up and let his guys settle under it. But it worked, man. It worked. And then what a, what a rifle to fill pop for the game winner. If he doesn't underthrow speaker and they still score the touchdown on the next play, there's time left. The Bombers have a lot of time left. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's weird how things work out in football. And then, then there's just no time left uh, where you're trying to punt a ball down the field to the end. So good old CFL. Hey, it's it's the best. What was the sound like in Montreal when that final gun went off? Could you hear people cheering? And yeah, like I was at home, but I know I know like more people spoke and knew about it. Uh, I talk about it working in radio and covering the Montreal Canadiens all the time. When the Canadians are in the playoffs, I can take the Metro to work, and I'm not talking to anybody, but I could tell it's a playoff day, right? You know, when I'm going to work on. On Monday, you could tell it was Championship Monday. You could tell that everybody wanted to talk about the the Alouettes. Everybody knew about it. Uh, my phone, people were like, "Oh, that, that was awesome." There's people that don't normally watch it or don't normally pay attention. Montrealers love being champions. It's in their blood. So when you get to be champion, they will make sure that they're part of that. And I think you saw that at the parade. Talking to Sean Lemon at the parade. He goes, look, I've been to Toronto and Calgary. He goes, they have nothing on what you, what kind of party we're going to have. And it, it was, uh, it was, it was special to see. It was great to see this city rally around, uh, the Alouettes for sure. And the mission was complete. Let's make it eight. And there it was. Yeah. And now what was, uh, Moss said at the parade, he said, now it's time to grind for nine. Already with the signings that we've seen. Yeah. At least the defense is getting primed again for another run. Yeah, they got Mustafa Johnson extension. Uh, Sankey and Lemon are coming back. Jardo got a contract extension. Tyson Philpott. Deontay Ruffin is uh, coming back. They signed him as well. Uh, it was about a week after the parade. They had a press conference. Danny Machocha said, he goes, I've never had this. Every player said, I want to come back. He goes, no, every player said that they want to come back. And Montreal has never been a destination. And now it's a winning destination with a billionaire owner. Maybe, you know, yes, the facilities aren't the same. Yes, the stadium and the locker room's not great. But I think the love that they saw from the fans and the winning attitude from the coaching staff makes people want to come there. They're, they're going to have a couple more signings. And Danny Machocha, what he said was, he said, we won't be able to sign everybody, but we're going to sign the people to make sure that we're still a championship team. And you talk about the stadium and it's not hmm. the classiest of the <laughs> stadiums in the CFL. Still, I still love it, though. I still... It's it's so unique, and I know the bench seating, you, you don't want it, it's very tiny, but you're up on the mountain, you have this beautiful view of downtown Montreal, um, you know, it's, it, it, like, I never, I always say, nothing beats a Friday night out on the mountain, and I love it, and I absolutely do, but yes, it's an older stadium, and it's a, it's a, it's a Canadian university field, it needs upgrading, I don't know what the plan is moving forward, they've, they've always said that they have plans, but they rent it, they don't own it, so they can't, 
do too much to it. So there's 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 the whole thing about the stadium. But I like it. I've been to a couple of games there, and it is fantastic. It, you, you talk about Friday night on the mountain, and it, it, that's exactly what it is. Because if you're on the, what would it be, the mountainside stands, or those the west side? Yeah. Yeah, and you're looking across the city. It's just an unbelievable vista. I've got an opportunity now doing play-by-play to go in across all these stadiums. And it's funny, the, the lone stadium I haven't been to because of COVID, I haven't been to the new Ryder Stadium yet. I've been to the old one. I did a game with David Sanchez there, filling in for Rick, but I haven't been to the new one. It's the only one I haven't been to yet. I think you'll love it. It, yeah. it along with Winnipeg Stadium, they did right. Yeah, I, I, I'm i a big fan of what they did in BC. With the way that they renovated that, I think it's incredible. Having a big stadium like that feel like a smaller stadium. You know, you, you look at the big O in Montreal, you're like, how can you not do that? But I got to give some love. I, I give Ottawa a little bit of a... But the way that they have that set up in the area where the football field is, I, I love I love Ottawa too. That's a fun that's a fun stadium. Winnipeg's Winnipeg is great. You know, Calgary and Edmonton are a little bit older, but not that bad. My least favorite is Hamilton. A great stadium, broadcast booth, the windows don't open. I, I like to be in the elements. So oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, the radio booth, the TV guys get the windows open, but the radio booth, it's like you're you're in a glass case and there's it's it's weird. You know, football, you got to be outside. You're you're limited in terms of what sounds you can hear as well. Yeah, you got to get all those mics piped in versus just being out there in the elements. Yeah, that's why Hamilton's my least favorite. Looking ahead to 2024, the schedule is out. Where do you see the Alouettes going? I, I see a very similar regular season to what they had last year. Something probably Toronto's going to be the best team again. And then you get something where they'll do 11 and 7. Maybe a twelve and six, maybe a ten and eight, second in the division. I think they're better than Hamilton, and we could say they're better than Toronto. But we'll see what kind of when it comes to the regular season. Eighteen games is really tough. The balance schedule is going to change things too because the Alouettes over the last few years have been able to beat up on the Ottawa's a little bit. You don't have four games against the Red Blacks this year. You're going to have to travel a little bit more. So I wonder how that's going to affect some of the team. But I think when coming out to the East. Coming to Montreal, it's not going to be such an easy out as it was in years past for some of those teams. So I'm looking forward to the balance schedule. That was the first thing I checked out. When am I going to which city and and checking it out? So it, it looks fun. So I was excited with the schedule coming out. Plus, my weeks are when I can take a vacation with my family. So I had to start booking uh, booking and looking at that. It's your off season for Montreal. You've got play-by-play, I imagine, with hockey or... Yeah, Laval Rocket. I do the AHL Laval Rocket. So we do the home games because we have the Rocket and the Canadians on our station. I do a lot of Habs pre- and post-game shows throughout the, the year. So it it was a little quieter during the, the end run there. It was pretty busy for me. And I have a daily radio show, uh, 10 to 2. Uh, Campbell versus Gallo on on TSN 690. So I'm I'm on the on the air four days, four hours a day, Monday to Friday, on top of all that other stuff. So do you ever get a vacation? Uh, I took one last week, and if you can tell, my voice is about 80 85 percent. I lost my voice last Tuesday. It's been nine days. I I had to do play by play on the Wednesday. Could not got a replacement. I did play-by-play on the Friday and, and Saturday. Sounded a little worse than this. Got better. And now it's just not coming. Like, I'm working. I just can't speak the way I normally speak. So sorry if they sound, but this is, uh, this is my, uh, my, uh, my lost voice from a week ago. So I was, I was on vacation for a week. I usually take 
early December off because of the CFL season concluding. And uh, I lost my voice during that week, so I didn't do much. Uh, I really appreciate you being on the show. Where can people find and follow you on the socials? Uh, I'm on uh, X, as they would say, and, and, and the gram. It's uh, Sean R. Campbell, S-E-A-N-R Campbell. Post some stuff about work. Uh, sometimes I'll put some stuff from Laval Rocket or Alouettes. And uh, on TSN 690, every day, like I said, Campbell versus Gallo. Uh, with my co-host, Mitch Gow, we go at it every day for four hours. CFL Talk at Canadians Talk, Montreal Talk, Montreal Sports Radio. Where I want it to be all along, right? I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, ask me anytime, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.